0: Well, good morning again, Grace. It is great to see you here. It's great to be here live. Thank you for coming. So keep your mask on until you leave the worship center, wait for an usher to dismiss you so we can do all those protocols right. Before we get started in our learning time, let me tell you a few things that we're up to. One, we'd love to open up the children's ministry as soon as we possibly can. And we need more volunteers to be able to do that. And if we structure it and and people continue to come to the live services, we'll go to two services as fast as possible. And that is contingent upon volunteers in the children's ministry. Please go online and consider volunteering. Second, that we're going through the Bible together, and we've been through the Bible to the point where we're at the New Testament now. If you want to just join us right now, there's a 90-day reading uh, plan uh, available online. Just go and download the PDF and jump on board with us. Uh, last, we have a new pastor to I want to introduce to you. This is David Thompson and his wife, Jacqueline, and their family. There's a picture of their uh, three children there. Beautiful family. Oh, my. <laughs> Just off of shooting a Vogue magazine cover, uh, David comes to us from Southern California. He has been uh, serving in in a a couple of churches there that are really great churches, and he's going to be overseeing our adult education, uh, part of our classes and courses, and working on core curriculum together. That gives Jeremiah Ebling, who has been serving in that capacity, and the family life pastor as well, the family ministry. So Jeremiah will go from two and a half jobs to one and three quarter jobs. So that's good for him. And uh, in light of them moving here in this kind of crazy situation, would you do everything you can to get to know uh, David and Jacqueline? They are tremendous people, and they're <laughs> they're going to be great members of our team. Uh, let me pray for you <laughs> from here. So, this is, you know, this this whole COVID thing, it's going to turn me into a hugger. I'm not I'm not there yet, but I'm almost I'm almost a hugger. I just this is this is painful. Lord Jesus, uh, we, look, we lift up um, David and Jacqueline to you. Lord, I'd ask that as you have gone before them and you have such a wonderful story in their life of ministry and have they be growing in their life with you, Lord, I'd ask that you would continue that. Lord, I'd ask that they would find their next best friend in, this, in these first few weeks. I'd ask that they would connect in an unusual, even supernatural way with young couples, with couples their own age, and with a mentoring couple or two. Lord, go before them. Let your hand be uh, upon their lives and upon their ministries. Give them insight and understanding into every soul that they speak into, that you would give them wisdom in what to say and how to care for others. Lord, I'd ask that they would care for each other, and they would care for their family well. God, I ask that you would bless them and bless them indeed. Give them an expansive ministry. Let us love them as they love us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. I think, I think we'll be in Matthew chapter 16. It was a great week for the Cassities. Uh We celebrated 30 wonderful years of marriage together. Melinda and I did. Yep. It, was, uh, it was our 35th wedding anniversary, but we had 30 wonderful years. And uh, yeah, those first five or so, those early years, we were pushing a square boulder up a hill, and it was, there were some very difficult times. And uh, one of the reasons we have so many great marriage ministries here at Grace is we didn't want to inflict that on any other people, so we had this pre-marriage counseling ministry, and we have re-engaged in other marriage counseling ministries because of what we wish we would have known. And then, But our marriage changed. In a night, it can happen, in one night. Let me tell you this story. It was at dinner. Here's what I'd been leading up to. It's been uh, maybe five, I don't know how many years, but a certain amount of years, five or so years, and we, we plateaued. And I wouldn't say that we stalled. I think the word would be stuck, because that's a choice. We, we got stuck. And I didn't know what to do about it. And uh, I, what, what happened was I had flown in one of uh, my previous professors in to teach on marriage and communications here at Grace because we were doing a marriage conference. And so I thought, I will seize that moment. So we took him to dinner, we actually had him over to the house and then we just talked through how we got stuck and it goes like this. Uh, Melinda was wanting more in our marriage and I I didn't want to give her more. And so he just kind of, we talked about that and I finally just said, look, here's what it comes down to. Before I was a Christian, I did some terrible things to people that I hated and the people I loved. And I have a lot of regret, and with that comes a tremendous amount of shame, and it weighs down heavy on me. And so whenever we'd go out on a date or we'd have conversations, Melinda would say, I just feel like you're not you know, telling me who you really are. I want to know more of who you are. And I would interpret that invitation as, tell me all the shameful, painful things that you've done to other people and that you live with. And so, I, was, I would just run. I would blow up dates and do whatever I could to make sure we couldn't finish that conversation. And he said, Rex, Dr. Gore said, uh, well, that, that sounds, actually, I've heard this before. And he, and he said, so in your years together, have you found that Melinda is a trusting person? I said, absolutely. Do you find her forgiving? Well, almost to a fault, she is exceptionally forgiving. And then he said this, this is, it was something like this, this is the definition of intimacy. Having shared experiences together, purposeful shared experiences together, and then choosing to open yourself up and just to expose your soul in raw, fear-filled, Self-revelation, who is your real self? Because to be loved, you must be known. And to be fully loved, you must be fully known. And you can't be loved, Matt, because you, you won't let her know you. And so, here's your choice. You can stay here where it's safe, and that is death. Or you can jump in faith and trusting in her trustworthiness and her forgiveness and, ex- and expose your soul to her and, s- and see what happens. That's the nature of an intimate relationship. So the night ended and Melinda and I had a conversation and I told her my stuff. I told her everything I was ashamed of, things that I had never told anyone else. And she went, okay. <laughs> like, what, that was it? That's okay, so we can move forward. And I learned something amazing that night, a few things. One thing I learned was that shame is only as powerful as you allow it to stay in the shadows. And the longer you leave it in the shadows, the more strength it has. And so all these years it had been just growing in strength, just simple exposure to life and love and truth. It killed it. And I learned this, that he was right. Purposeful, meaningful experiences together, and then this this vulnerable self exposure that is received, and and then you just continue to grow together. I mean, and we lived happily ever after. <laughs> it's a true story. Here's 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 the principle here, that that the more the more you trust, the more you will reveal, and the more trustworthy you are, the more will be revealed to you. Do you see? So, it's all about getting trust and earning trust. And so, I tell you all of that because it serves as a wonderful introduction to what we're looking at here today, because our relationship with maybe a a significant other is the same as our relationship with God in many ways. We have a relationship with God, and the way God's relationship works with us is purposeful experiences together, plus this, this deep, raw, fear-filled self-revelation about who you are, like he doesn't know, but like who you are. And then he reveals himself to you as well. And so that's, that's the purpose, that's the kind of the nature of our relationship with God. That's why uh, morning and evening devotions are so crucial because it keeps that relationship fresh. You start your day with, I wanna bring you into all my conversations that I'm going to have today, Lord. I, want you to br- I wanna bring you into all these decisions that I have to make. And then checking in at the end of the day, how are we doing? Was I truthful? Was I consistent? Was I brave? Or, because it's a relationship, you can say, stay in your lane, Yahweh. I'll call you when I need you. And that's what you get with that. That's, that's death. Experiences with life where we unveil ourselves to God, and then we, 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 we get trust. And the more trust we have, the more we can, we can reveal. And the more trustworthy we are, the more that can be revealed to us in our relationship with God. And so what's happening today in our storyline, we're, sur- we're surveying the life of Jesus, and that, one of the things that you get to see in a survey is you get to see a, a broader picture. So we're basically going to look at two or three stories, but we're going to see how they all fit together nicely in this earning trust for revelation. And that's the kind of part one application. And then, earn, then trust is earned, so there's further revelation, further unfolding of the nature of God. So here we are, we're in Matthew chapter 16. This is in the timeline, this is about two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus Christ, and they have had an experience of come and see, the 12, the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. Come and see. Let me show you what it's looking like. I want you to know me and enjoy me so that, so that more can be revealed. And all of those two and a half years all bring us to this place. A very special place is cho- chosen for this revelation. It is Caesarea Philippi, translated to mean Caesarville, Caesars Town. And Caesarea Philippi, here's a picture of it. I'd love you to join us in Israel because this alone, it's, it, the, the aura is supposed to be creepy because it is the largest cultic ritual sacrificial place in Palestine. And here's, how, here's why. Because in the desert, water is life. And before there were two or three earthquakes, from that giant cavern came water. And during flood season, it vomited out of there. And there's a couple little eye sockets carved or actually indented into the, naturally into that cave uh, surface area. And it looks like it's a face. And it's just spewing out this water. And as you would imagine, because of, of the various religions, it became a cultic site. They're, they're carved into the sides are idol places to put idols. Because this is where life comes from. It's, this is a source of. And, and one particular idol, for example, that was around during those times was the god Pan. Pan. It was the birthplace of Pan. And Pan was a god It was half goat, half man. It was a heinous-looking thing. And, and he had power. And you could appeal to Pan and maybe curse someone. And they could be panicked. Panic. That's where we get the word. It's, Pan has touched them and panic. Has happened. You could curse a nation and pandemonium would break out. Sounds like Pan's been <laughs> hard at work, right? Panic and pandemonium. And the idea here is, is this this is an eerie, fear-filled place, and people would come and they would sacrifice to the various gods. And how would they do that? They would throw offerings into that into that cavern and Even their their babies, they would sacrifice their babies and they would send them to the it it the thought was it went all the way down to the realm of the dead. This place, Caesarea Philippi, is the entrance to Hades. It is the door to the underworld. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gates of hell. These are the gates of hell. That's what he's talking about. So Jesus is standing in front of the gates of hell. And he says, listen, after two and a half years of experience, we've had conversations, we've laughed and we've cried. You've seen miracles take place. You've seen people resurrected from the dead. And so here it goes. I need to ask you, can I trust you? Who do other people say that I am? This is Jesus. Who do other people say that I am? The disciples said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Others think... You might be Elijah. Others think you could be Jeremiah. You're probably one of the prophets. You're just a great prophet we've been looking for. And then Jesus said, yes. But who do you say that I am? And then Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus says this. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven has spoken to you. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. These gates that we're standing in front of, they've got nothing on that declaration. Peter said this. Peter said, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the promised king. You are the one all of mankind has been listening, l- looking for. It is what our hearts long for. You're the fulfillment of what Adam had in mind when he knew there would have to be a second prototype made so that he could fix what Adam broke. He knew that you are this, Jesus. You are the hopes of Abraham's eternal heir. You are the one that David conquered the city so that it would be your capital. And his son, Solomon, would build you a castle, a temple you're that one, you're the king, that's you. And Jesus said, I am, I am. There's our first application in our storyline. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? A a prophet, a a wise sage, a, a good leader, an example to follow. That's not an option, truly. This is the essence of Christianity. That You have to change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind about who Jesus is, that he is the fulfillment of the promises of God to to make things right and to save those faithful followers from the consequence of sin, the cost of sin. And you need to choose. You need to choose, and you could choose today. Today is a good day. Who do you say that Jesus is? So in this story, in this story, because they earned their trustworthiness, Jesus is going to reveal himself in a way that he hasn't before. Because they're trusting, he's, he's, they, they've proven they're trusting, he's going to re- tell them about himself that he hasn't told anyone else. When he did miracles and how many times in the storylines, when you read the storylines, he heals someone and says, don't tell anyone I mean, Jesus is wandering around saying, don't spread the word, don't tell, don't, you're not ready for this. These men, they're ready. <laughs> you trust me. Now I'm going to trust you. Are you ready to hear what I'm about to tell you? Because Jesus says, I'm going to tell you my plan and purpose, and I'm going to ask you again. You're going to follow me then? I'm going to tell you my plan and my purpose. And then I'm going to ask. Still want to follow? Jesus says, I am the king but I'm a suffering, serving king. This is a deeper revelation. This is going to hurt. And he says this, he began to teach them that he was the son of man and the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly. He spoke this about this clearly. Look at that, look at that passage. It's, it's in, and I think it's in all four Gospels, and it's written in this way to, to see that he just says must only two times, but in the kind of the Greek grammar, the, what's happening here is a, a dynamic parallelism is taking place, and so the must is supposed to be modifying and controlling all of the events that are taking place. So while it only says must twice, here is what they heard, and that's why he spoke clearly about it. He said, I must suffer many things. I must be rejected. I must be killed. I must be resurrected again. Clearly, that's why. Why must? Why so much must? There are three reasons. He must do it in obedience. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He's he's following the father's orders, and he must do it because that's what it looks like to follow. The second reason is, I mean, why did the father send the son? For God so loved the world. He sent his son because there's a price to pay for, for sin. There's a cost. There's a cost. There's always a cost associated with forgiveness. If someone forgives a debt, they incur the debt. And in this case, we're talking about the, the, the righteous justice of God. And he can't just pass over and say, you know, I'm going to give you that. I'll just, I'll forgive you. No, that debt that, that needs to be paid. And here's the thing, all of sin, there is none righteous, not even one. And so either God is going to provide a payment for us, or we're going to have to pay it ourselves. It must be paid. And so Jesus says, I must suffer many things. I must die. That's why he must do those. The third reason he must is because he needs to prove that he has power over death. And that's why he's standing in front of Caesarea Philippi. That's why he's standing in front of the gates of hell, because he's saying, and then I must be raised again, because after three days, the thing that you guys have spent your entire existence fearing, all of mankind is being abused and obliterated by death. I'm going down in there, and I'm going to kill death. I'm going to make things right, and I'm going to turn this place into a tourist attraction. And people are going to buy trinkets over here at this store of all the things they used to be afraid of because I must die, and I must be resurrected. That's why. And you know what? You can go there today, and there's a gift shop, and you can buy little trinkets about things that you used to be afraid of because Jesus conquered death. He must well, in the story, with this new revelation, a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, it's not what they thought. Wow, you're a king, and we were looking forward to that, but you just said that other thing about suffering king and a king that will die, and it didn't sit well. And so Peter comes and tries to correct Jesus, and, and this, look what he does. He pulls, Peter pulls, I'm sorry, it's not right there. Yeah, so he, I'm sorry, Peter pulls Jesus aside to correct him. And, and he says, and he, to rebuke him and correct him, and he says, never twice. Never, Lord, he said, you shall never, this will never happen to you. You just did two musts, now you're following two nevers. And so John, Jesus says this to, to, to Peter. He pulls Peter around in front of everyone. Peter's trying to save face for Jesus. Jesus pulls Peter around in front of his disciples and says this. And he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. <laughs> Why so harsh? Get behind me, Satan. Satan. Well, this isn't the first time Jesus has heard that temptation. You can have the crown without a cross. He heard it before in his temptations in the desert, that you, all these kingdoms will be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Just disobey the Father. You don't have to must do that. You can not do that. And then later on, Jesus will be on the cross, and that will be his last temptation. You saved others, save yourself. And he can call down down a legion of angels and start this whole thing over, but he doesn't. See, this is a demonic temptation. You don't have to go there. None of this must. You can't have a crown without a cross is what he's saying. And Jesus said this, and here's our second application. It's it's his invitation. Now that you know more about me, Jesus is saying, and then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is who I am. This is where I must go. Here's what it means now as a follower of Jesus. You must follow me. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and come with me. What we're deciding here is the definition of the word follow. What does follow mean? It's pretty simple, isn't it? It is someone leads, and then you do what he does. Like, follow the leader, right? Whatever they do, you do. Whatever they go, you go. That's what it means, following the leader. And Jesus says, I must go and be rejected. I must go and be killed. I must go and be resurrected. And they're like, okay, but we don't want to go there. Here's the point. Then they're no longer following. (laughs) Jesus says, okay, Now that I've trusted you, I can trust you with more revelation about who I am. I'm going to open my soul up, and I'm going to show you what my purpose and plan is. It's this. I'm going to modify it here, okay? We're going to Juarez, the most dangerous city in North America, maybe the Western Hemisphere. And it's not going to end well. And then Peter says, no, 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 come here, come here, come here. Come here. I, got, I, got, I got another uh, travel agent. And so she said that we need to go to Mexico, but Cabo San Lucas. That's where kings go, and we'll be on the beach drinking drinks and stuff. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to, I'm going to El Paso. We're crossing that border, and then it gets worse from there. Are you going to follow me there? Because that's what it means to follow. <laughs> what Peter did, what Peter's doing here is what we do. we follow conditionally I'll go if you're going to go where I want to go. And sometimes even in our heads it's like you I'll, I'll, I'll believe in God as long as God is who I think He is. And when God finds him, when we find we read a passage in the Bible, and we go, "I don't like that about God. it's like, well, I won't follow him there I, would. <laughs> I mean at least for me, there's passages in the Bible that are like weird to me, and I don't understand them. Though there's there's a good number of those. Like what could that really be true? Okay, that's okay. put those over there. Highlight those in a different color. Here's the passages that really bugged me, is the passages that say clearly <laughs> like Jesus, like clearly here, boldly, you have to you have to be to follow me. You've got to be a different type of person. I'm gonna ask. I'm going telling you to love these people. I want you to live sacrificially towards others and even yourself there I'm clear are you going are you following because if you don't follow <laughs> you're not a follower <laughs> I mean I know I know this is really it's my I'm, I'm overstating the simple, simple facts here but this is what this is our this is the spiritual life here I'm going to suffer and die and be raised if you're following me, you're going to need your own cross. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And this, friends, is a mystery because this is the way of the soul. This is the way of the soul after the fall. Look, what he, look how Jesus amplifies. This is the, kind of like the meaning of life here. He says in 25 through 27, look, whoever wants to save his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever, wants to, whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Look, here's where I'm going. Here's what's going to happen for me. The Son of Man will come into his Father's glory with his angels, and he will repay each one according to what he's done. What does it mean to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? It's... It's, it's acknowledging that we have entitlements, and sometimes we, th- we, we think whether it's from our culture or from our family background or whatever it might be, but some things it, like God owes us or the world owes us, and sometimes they can be things that you feel like God does owe you, like maybe health or that your child will live a long and prosperous life, but that's not a, that's not a promise from God. That's, so giving up things you think he owes you or the world owes you, that's that's what needs to get crucified. Fundamentally, though, it's this. It's that we are at war every day with our ego, with pride, with, with, with vanity, with, with, with whatever controls us or control itself. Shame, the need for justice on my terms, like on my timing. All these things that, are, that get us wound up, that's evidence that we're holding on to something that we need to kill. It needs to be denied, put on a cross, so that we can follow him. Jesus is saying, look, here's where I'm going. If you follow me, you'll be glad you went. And the, the, the challenge here is, it, do we follow? This is the ultimate challenge that this king gives us. And this is the, the, the nature of the Christian life, right? If you want to be reborn and born again, you're going to have to die. If you want to be resurrected, you have to have a funeral. And that's also daily. That means all the time. And I want to tell you, I think, it's like, very deep within our soul, that's, this is why we're made. This is, this is how we're made. God, Jesus is appealing to this, going, you want this. It's funny, we're made that way. Uh, teach America came to, weird story, but Teach America came to Duke University to recruit teachers. Now, Teach America is a group that brings out some of the brightest uh, students in our country, and then, and then they go and they teach at some of the worst public schools that our, our, our system has. And so this lead recruiter for Teach America goes to Duke, and he said, look... I think I came to the wrong place. Honestly, when I pulled in, I thought I was going to the BMW dealership. Wow, you guys are very successful people, and I'm sure you're going to continue in your success. And so, you know, good luck with that. Because I'm I'm recruiting, I'm recruiting some of the best and brightest so that we could go into the worst schools around like uh inner city, south Los Angeles, or in the hills of West Virginia. And it's, it's dangerous. It, we, we lost two students last year. They, they were killed because they served us. But you know what? Here's what I recommend. You guys get your graduate degrees and then get those great incomes. Be a millionaire and be comfortable and make sure you're safe. So, I mean, I, I came here to, to bring you the biggest challenge of your life, and the most difficult job that's available that any of you will ever have. I mean, if you want the most difficult job you, you could imagine, then maybe you could come down here and join me. I've got some pamphlets. I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. You're dismissed. The auditorium emptied into the rows and down front, ran out of pamphlets because he challenged them. And many of them had already been pampered and lived with comfort and safety, and they wanted more. Jesus comes in and says, oh, I know how you're wired. You're flesh, you're, you're like, you're, you're, you lean towards all this comfort and safety and control, but that's not, that's not how you were designed. You were designed to risk and be brave and have a story to tell. And he says, I've got that for you. Here's the challenge. Saddle up with me. Bring your cross, and let's go kill some egos. What do you say? he reveals himself because they trust him and that's what he says. What about you? Are you a conditional follower of Jesus Christ or an unconditional follower of Jesus Christ? The spiritual life is is this. Paul says these are the words he says. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? He says He says in another passage, he says, I die daily. And and it's the idea of it's I walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And what that means is is waking up each day and saying there's going to be a war today. He goes back and is all rested up, had a good night's sleep, and he's going to want to take over. She's going to want to run things. She's going to want to make sure that she gets the attention in the room. She can't be forgotten. He needs to be in charge. Slay that. I've got some nails, I brought a cross, let's do this together, Jesus. That's how you find. If you you follow me and and you give up the selfless, the selfish self, so that you might be introduced to the selfless self, the way you were meant to be, you're going to love what he does after you kill everything, all those egos being killed. And he says, and he he doesn't, like he, he doesn't, equivocate here, he's like, man, he brings it, doesn't he? He just says, like, here's, here's what it looks like. Follow me. And he says, trade up, trade up. What, what, is, what would it profit you to gain the whole world if you kept your ego intact? Are you an unconditional follower of Jesus Christ or a conditional follower of Jesus Christ? These men didn't like what he said. They didn't like where he was going. They tried to correct him. And he said, too bad. I'm going towards Jerusalem and it said I, he set his eyes on Jerusalem and he he started going there and the guys looked around and went where are we going to go who are we going to follow and they followed him and here's the point if if you trust then you can reveal the more you're trusted the more is revealed to you and because they were trusted with this revelation and he revealed more to them and then he left and they followed they got more trust and so this is what happens. They follow him, and then six days later, they, they, they found that they're worthy of this experience. Chapter 17, the very next chapter, okay? And after six days, Jesus took, him, took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to the high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light." And then suddenly, if that weren't enough, and then suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared before them talking to Jesus. Okay, Moses representing all of the law of the Old Testament, and, and Elijah representing all of the prophets of the older testament. And all of those two, all of the old testament saints, all of them are represented here saying he is the king, and Jesus is shining, blinding right from the inside out. That not enough? Then the Father steps in, and then a bright cloud enveloped them, and the voice came from the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And how did they respond? Like any mortal soul would or could. And the disciples heard this. They fell face down in terror. Yeah, face down. You want to see a little bit of me? You want to see all of me? This is how all of creation responds to the presence of Jesus the Christ. And they have to be there. And do you know why? You can't get to the Mount of Transfiguration without a cross, without your cross. They found out who Jesus really was and what his purpose and plan was, and they followed him anywhere. They followed him anyway. that's how you know God. You see these old saints and they just know God and it's because they just, they kept carrying those crosses, kept following Jesus, death to self, crucified with Christ. And God says, I can trust you. Here's a little more. Because it's the nature of intimacy. It's experiencing life together and then choosing to reveal yourself, opening yourself up. And they lived happily ever after. In order to be loved, you have to be known. In order to be fully loved, you have to be fully known. It's an invitation to all of us, whether we follow conditionally or unconditionally. But knowing God means you might have to kill a dream or a hope that wasn't yours and then follow Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. And they did, and they did. The story doesn't even end here. After the the transfiguration, they follow Jesus to a still more intimate moment where they go over here on the last day or last week of Jesus' life, and they find themselves having a meal with him. You see, he had a meal with those people that followed him unconditionally. Many left, they didn't like what he was saying, and the disciples said, where else can we go? And that's how you get get this invitation. We're going to enjoy communion together for the first time in who knows how long. And communion means unity. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe he is the promised one, the Messiah, if you believe that he died for your sins and was raised for your righteousness, then you can join us. It's community. If you're in a good standing with other brothers and sisters, then let's do that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He took the bread and he broke it. And here's what we're going to do. I'm sorry. This is like, this is going to be, this is, I'm going to take a pause because this is a sacred thing. Uh, but we got a kind of a happy meal going here, don't we? We got a little drive through thing. So, what I thought I'd do, because we want the masks down for as short as time as possible in our live audience, if, if you'll just like, we'll do both of those together, we'll drop the mask and do the bread and the wine together. Okay? So, wait for that. So, But when Jesus uh, was having the Lord's Supper, he was enjoying that with his friends. They laughed. They enjoyed the wine together. They celebrated their history together. And Jesus knew this would be a a last day of revelation for them. They would see him for who he truly was because they earned that trust. And so they earned that revelation. And they got to have that meal together. And that's what we're getting today. We get to enjoy this meal together. We are his sons and daughters we are family with one another, and there's a friend that's closer than a brother, and it's found in the church. I love what it says, and this might, be, this might be the Lord's word for you in this time, okay? It says that the father descended in this cloud, and the father said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then the, the disciples fell down in terror. What were the first words that Jesus said to him? Listen to him. Okay, what is he saying? He says, get up, don't be afraid. Is Jesus saying that to you right now? Get up, stop being afraid. That's enough, get up, let's go. Enough of this fear, get up, don't be afraid. And he took the bread and he gave it to his disciples And they enjoyed that. He broke the bread and said, this is my body. It'll be broken for you. And after they took that, he took the cup. And he said, I'm going to make a new promise. And this time, this covenant will be with blood. It'll be my blood. Because I'm going to promise you that there's no place for fear in the Christian life because I will never leave you nor forsake you. Follow me, follow me away from the scary things and to the glory of God. Reveal yourself to me and find out that there's forgiveness and acceptance and it's the death of shame and the introduction of power. Drink to that. So let's take the bread and take the drink together. Follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus says. Follow him where? Wherever he tells you to go. When? Right now. It's in the moment. That's when you follow him. You wake up in the morning and say, anywhere, to do anything, for any reason, with any purpose, follow me. Follow me. One of the things that I really love about this story that we've talked about is the beautiful spirit, the picture of the transfiguration where Jesus was more brilliant than anything. And one passage says that could ever be even bleached out. It was as though the suns, the suns were shining through him. And some people believe that that is a picture of the future body we might have, the glorified Jesus and the glorified you and me. It reminds me of, of this, the little paragraph in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Weight of Glory, where he says, if we knew the real, true nature of the men and women that we come in contact with, we'd be inclined to bow down and worship them. There's a future ahead of us, and the future is, is this brilliance. This body can't inherit immortality, and we'll get a new one. Because as we sang earlier, God makes beautiful things. Out of dust, God makes beautiful things out of us. Let's pray in our conclusion, remembering that if we trust in Him and follow Him and reveal ourselves to Him, He will reveal Himself to us and show us that he, we are He is more trustworthy than we thought, and then we might live a beautiful life. Lord Jesus, we do lift up uh, this time to you. We are grateful for all that you have said and done even in this story that I ask that you would bring to our minds, that your spirit would speak to us and say, that's your story. That's your story too. But, but you wouldn't follow. When I revealed myself a little bit more to you that I'm not a, a grandfathered God. I'm not a, I'm not a vending machine. God, I'm, I'm a holy, righteous God. And following a King means following orders. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us see places in our lives where we choose not to follow, we're conditional. And I'd ask that you would allow us to crucify that, whatever motivates us. Help us understand what causes us to want to stay behind and lose opportunities of experiencing you in a deeper way so that we might live a life that glorifies you in its fullness. Lord let us be a church of followers let us be a church of unconditional conditional followers of who you are and what you're like that we might shine amongst those around us and introduce them into this relationship God thank you for this time together that we get to share worship in so many different ways today in the ordinance of, of the communion and late Lord's table and singing and hearing the word being taught we're grateful we're grateful